0: Um, How wonderful is it, this time of year, we start singing Christmas carols, we've just had our uh, wonderful Alice Springs Community Carols service and uh, we are reminded, aren't we, by our calendar. We're reminded in the Christian calendar, in a rhythmic succession of the work of God. Now, how many people think a reminder is always good? Yeah? How many people require regular reminders? I, I, I never need reminding of anything. No the truth is my wife's sitting in the front row and she could tell you you know if I promise I'll move that cup it always gets moved <laughs> Doesn't it Danielle She's going to throw something. I'm going to stand over here. I I need a lot of reminders. The older I get, my children uh, reflect back to me that, in fact, when I tell family stories, we go out to barbecues, what takes longer than the story is all the corrections they have to make because dad doesn't remember the story well. How many people over 40 like me have crashed off the cognitive cliff and uh, just need a little bit of reminding every now and then? Praise God. We need the grace of God, don't we? We need the grace of God. Not enough of you put your hand up then, you bunch of liars but you'll be saved at the end of the service, so that's okay. I need regular reminders and I don't just need reminders in the shallow things of life, like whether I'll move my cup or, you know, um, what my middle child's name is that I seem to never get right when I yell at her. I need regular reminders about all sorts of important things in life. No less, I find I need a regular reminder that we follow Jesus because the kingdom of God is here. I I need a regular reminder of it, how about you? It's not like I forget it, big picture, but in the moments of life, in the pressures of life, whenever something's going down, when it hits the fan, when it goes down, isn't it true? It's kind of easy to forget about the important things in life, isn't it? When stress comes, when challenges comes, when adversity comes. It's like our life is filled with potentials that seem to hijack our focus and our attention and our emotions and the object of our thought processes. And sometimes we need good friends to remind us of what's important, don't we? I'm married to a wonderful, gracious woman who usually, while we're driving, reminds me it's just not that important. You know, I drive a Hilux four-wheel drive, so if you cut me off in traffic, I'll, I'll crush you like a bug. But I get a regular reminder from my wife, it's important, babe, it's just not that important. How many people like poor old Pastor Ben just need to be reminded every now and then of the important things in life? Well, I love the Christian calendar and I love this time of year because uh, although some people say, oh man, I'm sick of carols and I'm sick of, you know, nativity scenes and tinsel, but I, I actually think that The Christian calendar reminds us on a rhythmic basis our year is filled with mountaintop experiences that cause us to bring to the forefront of our remembrance the things that we believe, why we believe what we believe, the things that we celebrate and their impact in our lives. So I am no Uncle Scrooge. I like being reminded of Christmas. I like being reminded of the way God makes God's gift of himself to humanity in the form of a vulnerable baby boy that contained inside of himself the fulfillment of the age-old prediction of the prophets that the kingdom of God would come. How about you? In Jesus, God's kingdom has come. How glad are we of that? I need a reminder of this on a regular basis because when I embrace God's kingdom, I do so by becoming a subject of God's kingdom. I need a reminder sometimes that I'm a subject of God's kingdom in all sorts of forums, but I often need to be reminded that I'm a subject of God's kingdom because I have a covenant with God brought to me by Jesus. And you probably could be in my boat, and you need to be reminded every now and then that you have a covenant with God brought to you in Jesus Christ. When we respond to a covenant, it is called, in biblical terms, covenant loyalty. And it is something that God has and it is something that we have. How many people know God is loyal, isn't he? God is loyal to it. That was a hopeless response for a wonderful statement about our awesome God. How many people know God is loyal? God's promises don't change. And in Jesus, God's promises are yes and amen to those of us in Christ Jesus. And God is loyal. God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. God is the one who says, never will I leave you or forsake you. And isn't it true that sometimes we need reminding every now and then in life, God's loyal. And we need to be reminded because His loyalty inspires our response, doesn't it? That we would show covenant loyalty to God. Covenant loyalty, you're not used to seeing it phrased that way in the New Testament, is one of the ways to translate the New Testament word, faith. Faith. Of God's covenant loyalty, you'll see it translated this way, faithfulness. God is faithful. He is loyal to those in covenant. with. Those who are loyal in a covenant in God's direction, that is what the New Testament word, faith, means. It means to have a covenant with God and remain loyal to that covenant. The second way to translate the New Testament word, faith, is Trust trust you walked in the door today you sat on the chair that you're sitting on did any of you test its weight before you entrusted yourself to the chair did anybody here turn the chair upside down and inspect the engineering properties of the chair that you're seated on today just checking for anyone who did we're definitely putting you on our venue management team if you did we need that level of detail friends of course you didn't because you exercised something native to a human person you exercised trust. You came in, you said, "A chair promises to hold my weight, therefore I will sit down on it." Now, I'm not making any accusations about anyone. For some of us, that takes more faith and less faith than others, doesn't it? My children tell me it takes more faith every year for me to sit down on a chair that'll hold my weight. Trust. Trust in God, covenant loyalty, faith. The third way to translate the word trust is this word, allegiance. And this element of the meaning of the word speaks to the fact that the kingdom of God is here and Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And that I, by coming to God in trust, by establishing a covenant with God and living in covenant loyalty with God, that I have allegiance to a king and that king is the king of God's kingdom and I am a subject of God's kingdom. Therefore, I have allegiance to King Jesus. Think about those three words, covenant loyalty, trust, allegiance. If you take those three words and you braid them together, you you mash them together, you end up with this New Testament word called faith. It's not just one of those things, it's all of those things braided together. Now, I find that faith is an unfortunate word in the modern era, because if you're the type of person that turns the TV on early in the morning, then you might have learned that faith is just simply the power of positive thinking. That faith is like, that it turns Christians into experts at denial. We'll say we've got no problems. We'll admit no problems. We'll say that nothing's wrong with us and we'll be like the little red engine. Do you remember the story of the little red engine? The little red engine had to go up the hill and he couldn't quite go up the hill. But he said to himself, I think I can. I think I can. I. Remember it? Yeah. This is the bit that in my mind pre-planned before you were supposed to like start saying it with me. Are you ready? Ready go. The little red engine. He said, I I, nobody whisper, but he whispers it at the start. I think I can. I, come on, let me hear you. And then he thought he and he thought he could, and so he did. And he thought he could all the way to the top of the mountain. Now, some of us think that that's what faith is, that faith is just this optimism and this power of positive thinking that if we think we can, we can. And if we think we can't, we can't. And it's greatly unfortunate because that makes us the epicenter of Christian belief. But let me tell you free, let me tell you something, my friend, you and I are not the epicenter of Christian belief. Jesus Christ is the epicentre of Christian belief. And Christian belief is not what we've done, but it is about what he's done. And Christian belief is not about how hard we work, but about how much we embraced in and trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection, who can say an amen in Jesus' name in this place. And it's unfortunate that faith has gotten away in the modern world from its moorings of trust in Jesus, of covenant loyalty to Jesus and of allegiance to King Jesus, the King of God's kingdom. Faith is powerful, faith is impacting but it doesn't seem significant all the time, does it? Have you ever rebuked yourself for not having powerful enough faith? Have you ever felt discouraged for not having enough faith? Have you ever thought, you know, maybe you've done what's common to humans, and we sort of stratify people, and we divide them up into all sorts of things, and then we kind of put ourselves at the bottom of the list, don't we? Like, they've got faith, and she's got faith, and he's got faith, and Mother Teresa, she had faith, but then there's me down here. Have you ever done that? It's incredible. Faith is central to the kingdom of God, because it is our covenant loyalty to Jesus. It is our allegiance to Jesus and it is our trust in Jesus. Therefore, it is not about us and what we do, but it is about Jesus and what he's done. This is a mustard seed. It's a handful, in fact, of mustard seeds. A mustard seed, usually, in its standard format, measures one cubic millimetre. Don't do the maths, it might wreck your head. But what you can do is you can grab a teaspoon and you can dig into a, a, um, a, a bowl of mustard seeds and pull them out. And if you get a nice heaped teaspoon and you don't shake your hand too much, you can fit 256 mustard seeds on that teaspoon. Pretty impressive, huh? I know this because I made Danielle count it at our kitchen table. That is where I garnered the insight, don't shake your hand, because she did that. And we were picking up mustard seeds for months out of our carpet after that. Every time you dropped your chewy, it came back tasting like mustard seeds, man. It was incredible. Jesus told two stories about mustard seeds that are important. The first one is found in the 13th chapter of Matthew from verse 31. That is Matthew 13, verse 31. He said this in a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants. And it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. How many people are just glad to be perched in the branches of God's kingdom? in their life, in the room. Give me a little amen or something like that if you're glad. I'm glad to be one of the birds perched in the branches of the kingdom of heaven. It it starts small, this mustard seed. It seems insignificant, but it grows. And when it grows, it takes over all of the other stuff in the garden. It even overtakes all the other plants in the garden. And it provides shelter. It becomes a place of safe harbour. It becomes a place of safety and refuge. And when Jesus tells the story, he uses the Greek word birds for the dirty birds, the unclean birds, the non-spectacular birds. That story gives me hope because if the unclean birds, the non-spectacular birds, if they can find refuge in God's kingdom, then I reckon I can find God's refuge in kingdom. How about you? Jesus told a second parable about a mustard seed and it starts in Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, the disciples have been approached by a man whose son was possessed by a demon. He was just insane. And he said, Jesus, I tried to have your followers drive the demon out of him, but they could not do that. And Jesus said, oh, wicked and perverse generation. And he drove the demon out. And then later on, the disciples said, Jesus, how come we couldn't drive out that demon? And Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 17, from verse 20, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed it takes over the whole garden faith is like a mustard seed just one 256th of a teaspoon of it in your life becomes something that grows into something that can move mountains It's no surprise, there's no mystery why Jesus links these two things together. The kingdom of God starts small, starts insignificant but grows and expands into something incredibly significant. Faith in God starts small, starts insignificant but grows in your life. Both things, the kingdom of God around us and within us, faith that comes from us in a Godward direction is something that grows, it renovates landscapes and it changes things. I think when we think about this parable of jesus that we get the wrong image here's a picture of a tree and i think when we think about this mustard seed we think oh yeah i know what you're saying jesus you start with this tiny little seed and we plant in the ground and then that's what it becomes this great big significant tree now if you feel in terms of your spiritual ranking system that you are a mighty tree then this parable is of great encouragement to you yes it started small but wow i'm a great tree Do you ever feel like a great tree? I've got to be honest with you, I don't often feel like a great tree. I think a lot of times I feel like a little weed. How about you? Any any fellow weeds in the house? Anyone ever felt insignificant? Noxious? Anyone ever felt like, well, of all the things in the garden, that's the thing to pull out and get rid of. That's kind of how I feel. That's how some people feel about me as Pastor Daniel. (laughs) I think this is the wrong picture to have of the mustard seed. Let's put up the other picture, gang. This is a mustard plantation. This is not an on-purpose mustard plantation. This is a mustard plantation by accident. It's a photograph from Italy on the left-hand side of your screen, which will show you two fields. Now, the plant of significance I'm talking about is not the big tree in the middle of the field. That's just a tree. The mustard weed that Jesus spoke of is the yellow plant that you see proliferating in the foreground and in the background of the shot. And it starts as a little mustard seed. This field in Italy comes from a biological plant control program photograph where they warn of the dangers of stray mustard being planted because mustard is highly noxious. Mustard takes over. Mustard requires almost no care, almost no effort to propagate. It goes crazy and it takes over. And although that looks like an on-purpose plantation or a farm, that is two paddocks of unusable farm now because mustard has accidentally taken over. The mustard tree is better described the mustard weed. And you can see on the bottom right hand of your screen a picture of when this insignificant seed sprouts through that cracked dirt, this thing that, 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 this thing that started off insignificant and sprouts a little weed, but the weed doesn't seem that significant. But if you leave mustard unattended, it will take over entire countrysides and become impossible to eradicate. On the top right-hand side of the screen, you'll see a man who is five foot nine tall, standing next to an eight or nine foot tall mustard plant. You get the picture of mustard weed? Mustard weed is dangerous. And from today... Ranging right back to Jesus' day, there are strict controls in place about the propagation of the mustard weed all through Middle Eastern areas. This photograph is used in Italy as an example of why you don't just let anyone grow mustard anywhere, because a stray seed takes over and causes problems. In Jesus' day, there was rabbinical law forbidding the planting of the mustard seed outside of very strict propagation standards because everybody knows if you get that stray seed if you plant a bit of mustard it's going crazy and it's taking over I think some of us imagine that God's kingdom is a fragile thing that God's kingdom is a, a thing that requires us to just be on our best behavior to make it happen but in this parable Jesus is saying the kingdom of God once started from something this big it's taken over everywhere man It's taken over everywhere. It is, God is doing stuff in planet Earth. And and we would think, but hang on, I didn't make that happen. You don't need to make it happen, man. It's the mustard seed capacities of the kingdom of God that comes. And it can take over entire landscapes. Take the landscape of our lives, for example. How many people could say, I can well and truly attest that the kingdom of God has taken over a significant portion of the landscape of my inner world, Pastor Ben. Who could give me a wave on that one? And Jesus says, it grows to be bigger than all the other trees of the garden. And and that interpretation is interesting because what he really means is it grows to be more substantial or more significant than all the other trees in the garden. That's the kingdom of God. It comes insignificant. And how does it come? Well, Jesus thinks faith, the only other thing significant about the kingdom of God is how you get in. You get in by trust. You get in by a covenant. You get in by covenant loyalty. And what happens when I have this covenant loyalty? Oh, I don't have much Pastor Ben, I don't know how much I trust God. I don't trust God much. Listen, take a teaspoon and divide it into 256 portions. I'm sure that God can place in your heart enough of that type of faith to be something that'll start something. Who could say amen in Jesus' name? It starts insignificant, even our own faith in God, even our own trust in God. It starts insignificant. It starts as though it's of nothing too great. But how many people know the kingdom of God? Where it starts is not where it stays. Amen. Where it finishes is not where it began. Who could say amen? amen? Here's the thing a geneticist will tell you about a seed. A seed contains within it everything necessary for what that thing will later become. Contains with it nothing but Potential. And sure enough, for it to be germinated and for it to grow, it will require environmental conditions. But none of those environmental conditions add something to the seed. The seed contains within itself all of the necessary components for the tree to come about. And this is what's so fascinating about what Jesus says in his parable of the mustard seed in the kingdom of God. And his parable of the mustard seed in faith in our lives. Listen, how many people know this world needs the landscape of it changed? And God's kingdom Is moving forward in kingdom people. But how many people know the landscape of our inner world needs to change? And Jesus said, even if we had one 256th of trust, of allegiance, of covenant loyalty in Him, then we could move those mountains in our lives. Ever had mountains in your life? I tell you, man, my inner world, when I came to know Jesus, there were so many mountains, John Denver should have done a whole album just about my inner world. So many mountains. That needed to be moved. Mountains of addiction. Mountains of alcoholism. Mountains of drug use. Not able to go to sleep at night without drinking myself to sleep for a very long time. Not able to wake up and talk to my wife without a few slugs of Bacardi rum for breakfast so I could talk to her. Not able to make it out the door with a smoke of something or a snort of something. Depressed not even able to walk down the street looking people in the eye without being reminded of my self-loathing and my shame and my pain and my trauma. Man, there were some mountains to be moved in my life. And I remember the significant and impacting time when I said yes to the gospel message and it planted a seed. All I did is say yes. All they did is pray for me. All I did is say, God of the universe, no matter where I'm going to, no matter where I'm coming from, today my answer is yes. And I am drawing a line in the sand of my life and I am turning to you. Make me a follower of yours, God. It seemed utterly insignificant. But I can tell you more than 20 years later that that faith that started like a mustard seed and the entrance of that kingdom of God that came like a mustard seed, it renovated the landscape of my life. How about you? How many people, let's just stop and enjoy the gospel for a second. How many people are just glad that what started like a mustard seed in your life began to be something that would take over the whole countryside? Who could say an amen? How many people know we've still got mountains in our lives, don't we? And that's why Jesus encourages us to continue with the faith of the mustard seed because we do have landscape that needs to be changed. And many of us will look in the mirror and beat ourselves up or grow discouraged. And we need to understand that the presence of the mountain does not mean the absence of the mustard seed. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that our this mustard seed kingdom is going ahead. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves this mustard seed faith is growing and bearing fruit. And that's why I like Christmas. I like Christmas because in the Christmas story is another retelling of the mustard seed story. Jesus like an insignificant mustard seed is sown into Mary's womb. Mary, a pregnant 12 or 16 year old teenager is sown into society as someone now carrying God's kingdom because within her is the king of God's kingdom. All of it would seem insignificant. It doesn't happen in the hallways of power. It doesn't happen in the palaces of kings. It doesn't get broadcast on CNN. It doesn't have Donald Trump sending in the tanks and sending in the army and sending in the navy. It's not on every TV screen in planet Earth. It didn't even happen at a time when there were TV screens. It's in a backwater called Israel, in a dusty, barren place that was a joke and a byword amongst those who lived in the ancient Near East under the thumb of an oppressive Roman government that was enslaving people. The very year that Mary got this news, historically, as we patchwork, quilt together the events, we know that some other person came and said, we want God's kingdom, rah, and the Romans killed him, and not only did they kill him, they killed all of his followers, and they lined the road from Jerusalem to Nazareth with crucified men, 18 years or older, all the way along the highway. And this place was insignificant, and this Mary was insignificant, and this... Child born out of wedlock with no known father seemed insignificant. Christmas is a reminder to us of the mustard seed perspective, that what starts as insignificant grows. Mary has an incredible response as someone who lives with the mustard seed perspective perspective. She goes to visit her cousin. Her cousin Elizabeth, she's her own mustard seed story in herself. An old lady who who her and her husband had prayed for years for childbirth, had prayed for years for a son and here in their latter years God grants their prayer and Mary's cousin gets pregnant and so what happens to pregnant Mary? She rushes off to uh, visit her cousin within the first three months of her pregnancy. We can find the rest of the story I'm telling you in Luke chapter 1, that's the first chapter of Luke and it'll be in verse 39 onwards. And after Mary finds out the good news that she's pregnant with the king of God's kingdom, listen to what happens. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. The kingdom of God's like that, isn't it? When we hear kingdom of God talk, something in us leaps, doesn't it? Something in this, the seed of the kingdom in the message we hear leaps with the seed of faith that's within us. And Mary has an interesting response. Mary sings a song. As we have this as a literary piece of text, we read it like a poem, but indeed it's Mary's song. Mary's response is a psalm, Her, her response is a joy filled, spontaneous, worshipful song. Now, just let me ask you something. When was the last time you spontaneously broke out into poetry or song in response to something someone had said to you? Does it happen much? Our auntie, when we were teenagers, she would every Christmas give us a card with 50 bucks in it. But we remember the first time she did it. My sister, who's one year younger than me, she's 11 or 12, and she comes into our room and she's holding one card in in one hand with 50 bucks in it and three unopened cards in the other hand, one for me and my siblings. And my little sister, she walks in and she goes, we're in the money, we're in the money. And you know, 50 bucks is enough to make a 13-year-old break out in song. (laughs) I said to the first service, I require a substantial amount more than that to sing about it these days. How about you? I mean, I'm happy, but I ain't singing yet. You know what I'm saying. What about you? What makes you break out in song? and take out of that equation all teenage girls who've been watching Hamilton the whole time, that when you take them shopping, sing around the whole time, saying, I can never be satisfied, I can never be satisfied. (sighs) When was the last time? We don't do it, do we? And Mary's response to what's going on with her is this incredible song. We're not going to get to preach through all of it today. I'm sure you'll be thrilled to know. But we will just have a look at a couple of things. But we are going to read it. We are going to read it. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, Mary's strange song, the spontaneous response she has to what's going on. Listen to what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the state of his servant, the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I don't know if you give yourself permission when you read the Bible to read it and say, that's weird, that's weird. I think often because we're reading our sacred texts and we're reading a holy book so we approach it with this sense of religiosity where it's like, you know, how do we respond to this and oftentimes we're faced with mysterious things that we don't admit to ourselves are mysterious but I just got to tell you, this is such a weird response from Mary. It's a weird response. And it's a weird response because of who Mary is. But Mary responds this way because she has her mustard seed lenses on. Mary's throwing a hat in the air. Mary's kicking up her heels. Mary's singing for joy. But listen to what she does. She's singing a song about what God has done. Listen to that phrase. She's singing a song about what God has done. Everybody say, has done. Mary phrases a song in past tense about what is going on in the present and about what is going on in her in the present. That is, what is going on in me now is certain and certitude of the fact that what God is going to do in the future, God has done by beginning it in the now. That's the essence of the kingdom of God, isn't it? The essence of the kingdom of God is that I, that I was saved, I am saved, and I will be saved. That he has come He's coming and he will come. Who could say amen to that? That the kingdom of God comes to us as a mustard seed that we receive in the now, but we celebrate the certainty of its fruition in the future, and everything that God is doing in the now, even if it seems insignificant, friends, even if it seems to be discounted, even if it seems small, even if it seems imperceptible, even if it seems like if you dropped it on this floor right here, you'd never find it again. It starts small and insignificant, but this small in the now, it is a certainty of the big in the future and mary sings this song listen to some of her incredible statements that she says not god will one day but god has how do i know i'm carrying something in me she's singing now about the things that god has done because she's got the mustard seed perspective it's already started now in me this small seed contains the future Listen to what she says. She she celebrates, first of all, in verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has been mindful. God has thought of me. God has thought of me. God has been mindful. What's going on now, this mustard seed, you've got to think about this from a biological perspective. She's just found out she's conceived. She literally has a imperceptible seed implanted in her womb and the knowledge and possession of that imperceptible seed how many people know through the wonders of biology she'll grow something pretty significant out here in a couple of weeks time in a couple of months time in a little while and right now while it's imperceptible she understands that the imperceptibility of the seed is never a comment on the effectiveness of the seed she says, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. What does the word humble mean in this passage? It's not the usual word for humility that you see in Scripture. It's not the usual humble Bible word. This word is the Greek word, tapeenoo. Tapeenoo. It's a good one for Scrabble if you're trying to compete. This is what it means. To be low or depressed in rank or in feeling. Humiliation. To be made low, to be of low estate, to be perceived as vile. Horrible words. You ever felt like you're perceived as vile? Ever felt vile? Ever felt of lower state? Have you ever felt depressed? Ever felt down? Ever felt downhearted? Ever felt humiliated? What if we together were to just project all of the thoughts and intents of our heart and all of our history and all of our deeds and all of our actions and all of our fantasies? What if they were projected up onto the wall right now and everybody could see, isn't it true, we'd be a little humiliated, wouldn't we? And what's fascinating about this is you would expect someone scripting the God story. Not to portray a God who's mindful of the lower state, mindful of the depressed, mindful of the vile, mindful of the humiliated, mindful of the ashamed. I think if you were like me and you were going to change the world, you would bring God in all of his power, in all of his shock, in all of his awe. I think you'd, you know, this, this is what i do, I'm going to be honest. I'd recruit a few celebrities, man. I'd have Michael Jordan marketing a new pair of shoes, the Christ water walkers. I'd have, I'd, I'd have Kobe Bryant on the, mid, on, the, on the TV news saying, I follow Jesus and he made me a better, a, better, a better ball player. He made me a baller, man. He made me a baller. I'd, I'd, you know, I don't know what else I do. I have Britney Spears up there. I don't know. I'd have, I'd have Taylor Swift saying, you know, repent of your sins. Shake him off or something like that. I'd, I'd recruit all the celebrities. I'd get the rich. I'd get the powerful. It'd be on every TV screen. What about you? Isn't that the way you do it? God doesn't play the way the world plays. God isn't just interested in the rich and the influential and in the famous and in the powerful. And in Mary understands that even in her life, the implanting of the seed of Jesus is not just something for Mary to enjoy, but it is indeed like the rest of the narratives in Scripture, revelation to the world. Every Bible story is a story that shows us what our God is like. And Mary says, "This is what God's doing. God is being mindful of the low. He's mindful of the humiliated." He's He's mindful of the vile. He's mindful. God is mindful of the outsiders. God is mindful of the downtrodden. He's mindful of the ones without power. He's mindful of the ones without fame, without great skill, without celebrity. God is mindful of the depressed. And who's singing this song for us? Mary, the single mum. We know in that day and age that women were betrothed as young as 12 years old and usually not later than 16 years old. So we know that Mary is somewhere between 12 and 16 and she's walking around newly pregnant with a story that says, God made me do it. In a shame and on a culture where it is a scandalous thing for her to be pregnant out of wedlock and not only that, unable to name who the father is. Imagine their belief, oh God did it, huh? Scandal. Teenage single mother living in Israel under Roman occupation, a nation of slaves, a nation under the thumb, a nation being squeezed by power until the pips squeak. And she says, God has been mindful of my low. We say, God's mindful of my humiliation, God's mindful of my depression. She's a nobody. I could respectfully say she is a nobody, because Mary is one of the few important Bible figures whose parents' names we will never know. We don't know who her father is. We are never told who her father is. You know what a scandalous thing it is if you look through the Bible. Most Bible heroes, we know who their dad was. And Mary becomes such an important feature in the story, but it's a scandal in itself, because her parentage, her lineage is never named. And what that means is, of course, by the eyes of anyone writing in the first century, she was an illegitimate person. She was a non-person. She's a young girl, pregnant, out of wedlock. We don't even know who her parents is. There's no great family story. Mary's a nobody, but isn't it amazing? Because to God, there's no such thing as a nobody. To God, all of us nobodies are really somebody. And she says, God's been mindful of my humble state. God's been mindful of my broken state this word, the humble state of his servant, the depressed state of his servant. In Christmas, in the Christmas message every year, placed in our calendars is a rhythmic reminder of the seed of the kingdom of God in the face of our own depressing battles and insignificances. Mary, depressed and lowly in spirit, rejoicing because the seed of the kingdom of God has been planted in her life. What's interesting about this from a literary perspective is Mary's song echoes a song of another woman, another depressed woman, someone who we're told by Scripture, wept and cried bitterly before the Lord. Her name was Hannah and you can read about her in 1 Samuel. And Mary's song is, in a lot of ways, a literary cut and paste, an homage, a tribute to her thing. Let's say these days, Hannah could sue Mary for plagiarism. And we find these that of all of the things to think about when she responds to the coming of the kingdom of God, Mary looks to Hannah who was depressed and wept bitterly and says, that is me but praise God in the seed of the kingdom. He is being mindful of my depressed state. Friends, doesn't it bring your heart joy to know that whatever you're going through in life, whatever you're facing, maybe no one's ever going to make Nikes with your name on it. If they do, I, I remember me when they do. Maybe, maybe you're going to be famous but maybe you're never going to be famous. Maybe you're going to be greatly influential and wealthy and powerful, but maybe no one will ever know your name and you'll struggle to rub two cents together. Maybe we'll be nobodies and never heard of again out here in Alice Springs, the middle of everywhere. But we have a seed within us of the kingdom of God that is no less significant. And Mary gives us an invitation at Christmas to rejoice. God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She sings it in past tense. And what does she say? God has done great things for me. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me in Jesus. Mary understands that she's now carrying something of greatness. She's now carrying some greatness in her. She's now carrying the great things of God. And in this great text, she uses the Greek word megala. Megala. Have you ever been to a restaurant and had a mega feast? Your kids ever told you we had a mega good time? Ever driven to church and had a mega fight with someone in the car? We solved that. We come in two separate cars. <laughs> Never fight. Mary said, God has done mega things in my life, but those mega things being spoken of are found in a seed in the form of Jesus. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Starts out small, starts insignificant, starts easily discounted, but grows into something that changes our faith in God, our trust in God, our covenant loyalty in God. It's like a mustard seed, man. It starts out small. It starts out insignificant. We could easily even overlook that it's there sometimes, but it grows into Something powerful, so powerful that Mary looks at it and says, man, this is mega. Our faith is mega. The kingdom of God is mega. God's doing great things in our lives. She then says he has demonstrated power with his arm." I feel like when I read this song that she collapses the entire biography of Jesus down into this, that in her present, she looks ahead to the future and sings of the future in past tense, taking the whole story of the life of Jesus and saying, I can look ahead, inspired by the Holy Spirit and say, look at everything God's done because of the coming of this child. He has done great things with his arm. That Jesus who drove the demons into the herd of pigs in Mark chapter 4. That Jesus who opened the eyes of the blind in Mark chapter 10. The one who heals the deaf and the mute in Mark chapter 7. The one who raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. The one who calmed the storm to a whisper in Mark chapter 4. And the one who on the cross died a substitutionary sacrificial death to free you and I from the power of sin, the pollution of sin and the penalty of sin. And not only that, rose up on the third day in resurrection life that Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, he lives in newness of life that you also could live with him. It starts insignificant, but it becomes this saviour, this influencer, this teacher that died a death on the cross. That Paul said that death is not just a martyrdom. It is not just a tragic murder. It is a holy sacrifice in time and space that overcomes sin and death and the devil and shame and pain. And Isaiah said, surely he has carried all of our sorrows. It seemed insignificant at the time, but all these years later we look back and we say it's so significant because at that fountain of healing is life transforming power. Who could say amen in Jesus' name? And he raised up out of the tomb in resurrection life and gives each one of us the invitation. And it seems so insignificant, doesn't it? That if you say yes to the gospel message, the seed of the kingdom will be planted in your life. The seed of faith will grow in your life into something that will move mountains. I can tell you I tried to move the mountain of addiction and the mountain of shame and the mountain of pain with all sorts of dynamite and nothing moved it like the gospel. It felt at the time like that mountain actually didn't move all at once. It felt like it got shoveled by the spadeful over a very long time. How about you? But it starts insignificant. But the gospel renovates landscape. Paul celebrates the significance, the fruition Of the insignificant seed of Jesus and the life transforming, landscape renovating, mountain moving power of his death and his resurrected life. In Colossians chapter 2, from verse 13, Paul says this when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. In, in the cross is the great victory of God against everything we've ever battled for. Every time I read this passage, I'm moved because I really understand Paul's word. When he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The gospel found me when I was a dead man. How about you? And I wish I could stand here and say, I was of superior moral wisdom to make a smart choice. Or of superior ethical power to to, to cure my own ills. Or I was of superior psychic energy to transform my own life. And maybe you're the type of person in here that could do that. And God bless you. But I can tell you now, when the gospel came to me, it came to me as an insignificant message delivered through an insignificant birth of faith in an insignificant moment of ministry. But it planted a seed that starts insignificant and takes over everything. I was dead in my transgressions and sins, but God, listen to this, who is rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter two from verse one says this, as for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. I want you to think about that, friends, that the gospel is the delivery, is the delivery of the rich mercy of God, who says the one thing a dead person cannot do is they cannot raise themselves. And God is rich in mercy. And so what does he do? He stands at the tomb of our life. He has done great things. We can sing it with Mary. He stands at the tomb of our lives and he rolls away the stone and he says, Lazarus, come out. And he calls our name every day we wake up. We can pray to a God who's calling our name. Every moment we celebrate Christmas, we hear, we hear the echoes of the voice of a Savior who stands at the door of our tomb and says, come out, Lazarus. Because of his great mercy, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's done great things. Friends, what I want you to take away from today is I want you to every ounce of the Christmas story this year Let this rhythm of the calendar remind you of the work of God in our lives. Remind you of the work of God in history. Remind you of where you're going. Remind you that God is living and active in our world. And he's living and active in our world, even in us. What I want you to take away today is I want you to take away, hey, no matter how much your faith in God seems insignificant, God is moving in your life. No matter how far away from God things seem in this world, God is moving in this world, isn't he? Many of us know the power of the gospel story, and many of us know the power of its ability to transform us and we stand with Mary And we say, I've got the seed of the gospel in me. I've got the seed of God's word in me. I've got the mustard seed of the kingdom of God in my life. I've got a mustard seed of faith that's growing into something. Now, if you have a truckload, God bless you. Keep building. But many of us don't have a truckload, but I reckon we could muster up one 256th of a teaspoon. And so I want you to stand in God's presence with me this morning as we just bask in the gospel message for for a moment. I don't know in this room everybody's personal story. I don't know in this room everybody's current biographical data. I don't know whether you know Jesus or whether you don't know Jesus. I don't know whether you feel like a spiritual black belt here or whether you feel like someone with two left feet at a dance-off. But I do know, I do know, that whenever God's people come together, Jesus says, even if only two or three of you are together, I am right there in the midst of you. And I know that our worship seems insignificant. Sometimes we come into church and we think, do I really need to sing? And it seems insignificant. But until we understand the mustard seed perspective, that what starts off small grows to become something significant. I don't know if you've ever said yes to the gospel before, but in a room like this, I would imagine if we put up our spiritual antenna, that God in his love and God in his grace, he's encouraging you to do what changed my life all those years ago. That is to say, God, of the universe today I draw a line in the sand of my life. and No matter where I'm going, no matter where I'm coming from, today my answer is yes. My answer is yes to the gospel message. God, make me your child. God, turn me to you. God, I turn to you. Make me a follower of Jesus. and I want to say yes to the kingdom of God. Implant the seed of the kingdom in my life. Give me the seed of faith in my life. See, the Bible's very clear to us, friends, and it says that whenever the gospel message is preached, that God is preached, God comes by His Spirit and He begins to work faith in us. He begins to create an inborn impulse. I want to trust God. I want to walk with God. I want a covenant with God. And not because of what I've said and not because of what we've done today, but because He is here in His love and His grace and His compassion. I know the Holy Spirit is moving through this room right now. And I want to ask you, please bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room. I've got a question for you. And here's how it goes. Do you remember a time where you drew a line in the sand of your life and said, God of the universe, no matter where I'm coming from, no matter where I'm going to today, my answer is yes. And I know in this room, my friends, the Holy Spirit is drawing hearts and minds and he's drawing people. He's saying, come on, that's you. That's you, my son, my daughter. That's you. Why don't you say yes to the gospel message? Why don't you respond? Come home, come and be my child. Don't miss your opportunity today, friends. Maybe you've never given your life over to Jesus before and said a definitive and resounding yes to the gospel message. But I know today God is drawing people and he's inviting people or maybe you did it once upon a time and you did say once yes but you haven't been walking with Jesus and it's been a long time since you said actually God I need to come back to you I've been away for various reasons stresses, anxieties, offences, hurts, pains the cares of this world all sorts of stuff chokes it out but today in this gospel message God is standing in our midst saying hey why don't you just say a fresh yes to me in Jesus name Well, I'm going to pray for two groups of people in this room the first group I'm going to pray for are those who know for the first time ever or for the first time in a long time, you need to say yes to the gospel message. Now, if you want to be included in my prayer, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you in your seats. I'm going to leave you right where you are. But I want you to just shoot one hand up to heaven like this and lift your head and just make eye contact and say, hey, Pastor Ben, that's me. Include me in that prayer. I want to know who I'm praying for. So right now, you want to say yes. Come on, let me see those hands. Shoot them up right now. From the left to the right of this auditorium. Thank you. I can see that hand. Thank you. Thank you, I can see those hands too ladies. Thank you. And give you another moment. Hand up in the air. Yeah, God, that's me. I'm saying yes to the gospel message today. Thank you, my friend. I can see that hand on you. I don't want you to miss your moment. It's going to give you one more second. Who else in this room? Hand up nice and high. Pastor Ben, include me in that prayer. I need to say yes today. I need to say yes. I kind of feel like there's one more person in the room. I'm not judging anybody. I don't know. But I feel like God's saying, hey, there's one more person here. Don't miss your moment, my friend. Who is that? Hand up nice and high. Yeah, that's me, Pastor Ben. Include me in that prayer. Include me in that prayer. Good on you. I can see you there. Thank you. Thank you. If you raised your hand, good on you. Good on you, my friend. That's excellent. If you raised your hand, I want you to go ahead and put it on your heart. Now, it's not magic, it's only symbolic of a fresh start. Symbolic of a fresh start today that we're drawing a line, we're clearing the whiteboard, and we're beginning a new future walking with God. So I'm going to pray for those people. Go ahead and put your hand on your heart. And the rest of the church, I want you to pray for our friends as well that are saying yes to the gospel message today, either for the first time ever or the first time in a little while. Our Father, we thank you that you are drawing people in this place. Thank you that you are inviting people into a fresh future. Lord, we pray for them. We pray they would know in their soul that you are turning them around, turning them away from their sin, turning them away from darkness, turning them away from being lost and you are starting to deposit in them the kingdom of God and a fresh future. Let them walk with you, God, I pray. Oh, draw them to be a follower of yours, Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ today, let today be the beginning of a fresh journey. Let today be a new chapter in their life, the implanting of a seed that takes over the implanting of a seed that will move mountains in their lives father and we agree together as the people of God for the greatness of your work in their lives and we give you praise and we give you honor and we give you glory come on church give God a hand clap of praise in this place today Thank thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus I want to pray for a second group, and you're in this place, and you say, hey, God, I've got some mountains that sure could be moved, and for some of us, it's physical illness, and for some of us, it's just discouragement. Some of us, it's despair. Others, it's financial challenges. Some of us, we're in isolation, or we're lonely. Some of us, we're stuck here, and our families elsewhere, and we're feeling it, and we're carrying it, and right now, whatever your mountains are today, I want to pray for you. So here's what I want you to do, like I did with our friends. Just lift a hand or two to heaven right now, if you want want to just say, hey, God, just move some mountains, and just begin to whisper to heaven what those mountains are. Hey God, you know, you know my situation, you know my story. Father, I thank you right now for my friends responding to your word and your grace all over this room today. Lord, there are deep needs in this room. Some people are physically ill. Others are grieving. Others feel isolated. Others feel lost. Some people, Lord, they're carrying despair. Father, I thank you. Whatever the issue is, whether it's physical healing, restoration in family, financial challenges, we thank you for the seed of the gospel, the seed of the kingdom of God, growing right in that situation. Let us leave today, Father, with the sense of your nearness. Let us leave today, Father, with a sense of your goodness walking with you. I pray for them. Pour your spirit into their lives, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, in their lives. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now, this prayer is for all of us. Come on, lift your hands to heaven all over this room. Father, send us this week as seed sowers of the kingdom. Send us this week as people doing mustard seeds of of love and kindness and beauty and justice and peace and reaching out and checking in and, and testifying of our faith. Lord, let us be people who scatter kingdom seeds everywhere. We don't even have to do much to have an impact. So, Father, inspire us, encourage us and send us in the power of your spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus.